Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always so encouraged to know and learn of the ways how God is using this ministry to work in the lives of others. If you have a story about how this ministry has touched your life or how God is working in your life right now, we ask that you let us know and send us an email at amen at yourepicenter.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you may do so online so that we can continue to bring you messages just like this one every week. Today's message is from Lead Pastor Mark Knight, and our hope is that you are truly encouraged by today's message along your journey. Today's text, to be honest with you, is we're going to end this series today in, with a little bit of a twist because the text that we're looking at um, is abstractly connected to the concept of fear not. In fact, there's so many things that are going on in the text that we're looking at today. There's three or four different concepts. There's this concept that, that if we live a life of fear, we'll ultimately be paralyzed in our fear and will live a life that is relegated to inaction because of fear. That's one thing. And then there's the second thing that's happening, um, this healthy fear. It's the fear of God, and the fear of the Lord. And that's when we love the things that God loves. We hate the things that God hates. The things that are important to him are important to us. The things that are not important to him are not important to us. That, that That's part of the definition of fearing the Lord. There's also really an elementary definition of fearing the Lord and 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 that is not when you fear being judged for what you've done wrong, but rather you celebrate the goodness of God for what he's done right. That was pretty good. Um, the fear of the Lord is when you are terrified with grieving the heart of God, therefore you'll be outside of his protection. That's another. And then that's another concept that's happening. But then there's this third thing that's happening in this passage. It's the fear of the future. It's the fear of of the unknown. Now, I don't have time to dissect all three of these concepts. However, I I will connect the dots on all three. Because what I want you to see today is really, ultimately in the end, that it is your love for God that gives you the ability to overcome all fear. 
In fact, let me just start with you. I know I told you to turn to Matthew, but, but let me just start with you in Isaiah chapter 41, which is really our learning lab for this series. We've been here every single week. We've read this passage of Scripture. I hope by now it is not only resonating in your spirit, but much of it you have memorized. When you hear something that speaks to your heart and gives to you joy when I read Isaiah's words here, I, I want you to let the Lord know it, okay? Is that all right? Here's what he writes. He says in verse 8, But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners, I called to you, and I said, You are my servant, and I have chosen you, and have not rejected you. Uh. Verse 10 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God and I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay, and all who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced and those who oppose you will be as nothing and they'll perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear for I will help you. I, I, I want to read this passage again, but with a different filter. If you'll remember last week, I told you about the old lady that I went to college with. If you were not here, let me refresh those who were here and let me educate those who were not here really quickly. There was this lady, old lady in her 80s that I went to college with. So please forgive me if, if you're in your 80s. You're, you're, the 80s is the new 50, okay? So, um, so this woman, when, when she would sneeze, someone would say to her, God bless you. And she would say, may it be unto me. She then began to educate us that there is power in both the positive thoughts and the same power in negative thoughts. And she told us that if, if you cannot end your statements with may it be unto me, then maybe you need to change your language. Well, we have some statements that really statements of fear rather than statements of faith. My kids are driving me crazy. May it be unto me. What if I lose my job? May it be unto me. What if he gets the promotion over me? May it be unto me. What if I contract Ebola? May it be unto me. What if my kids turn from God? May it be unto me. What if I run out of gas before I get to the gas station? May it be unto me. What if my month is longer than my money? May it be unto me. Do you see how that changes things? So let's read this passage of Scripture again with the concept of may it be unto me. Pick it up in verse 9. It says, I took you from the far ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, and I called you and I said, you are my servant. May it be unto me because I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So may it be. 
be unto me. So do not fear, for I am with you. And do not be dismayed, for I am your God. May it be unto me. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. May it be unto me. You may look for your enemies, but you will not find them. May it be unto me, for I am the Lord your God, and I will help you. May it be unto me. You see, Isaiah in this passage of Scripture, he is not saying that faith is the absence of fear. What he is saying is that faith is having a greater focus on the greatest God in the face of your greatest fear. You see, he's not even saying that God will only help you in the times of your deepest crisis. No, he's saying that these are the blessings of God in in every single area, in every single detail, in every single situation in your life. But then the more that I think about fear and anxiety this week, I I was thinking, you know, the the thing that brings us fear and anxiety more than anything else are the unplanned things that we're unprepared for. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like you get a bill in the mail and it was unplanned and therefore you're really unprepared for it. Or, you know, you you have a call from the doctor's office because you, you had this test that was administered to you and they've called and said you need to come in because there's some abnormalities, it's unplanned and you're unprepared for it. Or maybe the school principal calls and says, I need you to come in, I need to talk with you about your child that's unplanned and unprepared. Do you remember Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 last week that we looked at? Put it up on the screen for me. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. Um, You remember Paul, he spoke to the anxiousness of our hearts. I'm going to let you be seated right after this, so just hang here with me. Paul spoke to the anxiousness of our hearts last week in in verses 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about any. Do not be anxious about any. Some of your translations say, be anxious in nothing or no thing. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Hold on a second. Um... I want you to think about this with me for a moment because Isaiah did not promise that we would not have problems. He just promised that God would be with us during our problems. And, 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 and so you, you have this concept going on and, and so we see even Paul making reference to it. Uh, and some of you are saying, well, Pastor Mark, that's easier said than done because to be perfectly honest with you, when things that are unplanned happen in my life, may it be unto me, turns into might I be overwhelmed? Mm. And so, so can, can I show you something? It says in, in verses, in fact, back up to verse 5. Let me show you something in verse 5. This is something that we skip in this verse. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then it says, the Lord is near. Mm. We, we skip over that. We jump right on in to don't be anxious for no thing. And then we jump into the peace that surpasses all understanding. But we have to understand that the Lord is near. You ought to circle that in your Bibles. That the Lord is near. And then he says in verse 6 and 7, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because the Lord is near. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But then in the next verse, he gives us 
the thoughts that we should have, may it be unto me, so that we can evict the thoughts that we should not have. And look what he says. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then, look, he gives us a promise in verse 9. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, seen in me, put it into practice. Now, now hold on a second. When Paul writes this, he's in prison, and he's talking about that his thoughts are whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. I'm thinking about such things. He's writing that while he's in prison telling us how to think. And then he says, look at the rest of verse 9. He says, put it into practice. And then it says, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't think he caught that. Go back to verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will be yours. But in verse 9, it says, and the peace that God offers, it doesn't say that, will be yours. It says, and the God of peace will be with you. Are you grabbing this? I don't think you are. Because in verse 7, what he's saying is when fearful situations come into our lives, not only do we have the peace that God offers, but according to verse 9, we have the God who offers peace with us. Does that not ring true to what Isaiah said that God is with you? He's for you. He's there to help you. He will sustain you with his righteous right hand. He will lift you up. Why? Because he chose you. Mm, Good heavens. So not only do we have the promise of the resources of God, but we have the revelation of his presence. Why? Because the Lord is near. Good Lord, that's good. But here lies the problem. High five someone and say, don't hide from the scarecrow. High five, don't hide from the scarecrow. And then you can be seated. Here lies the problem, though. I want you to hang here with me. Here lies the problem. We all love the resources of his presence. But we don't like the obligation of his presence. We all love the resources of God's word, but we're not so keen on the responsibility of God's word. We want his blessings in our lives, but, but, but not necessarily the, the, the responsibilities of his blessings. I want you to think about this with me for a moment, because... That may be where you're at today. You, you want his blessings, but yet you still have the anxiousness of, of your heart. And what I want you to see today is, is this. In fact, let me just move away from my thoughts for a second and, and kind of give you a side note. I had this thought this week that without the application of God's word, it's impossible to receive the promises of God's word. Without the thoughtfulness of verse 8... It's impossible to see to receive the promise of verse 9 in Philippians chapter 4. And the reason why we do not receive the promise of verse 9 is because we're trapped in verse 6. We're anxious about everything. Do you follow this? 
Therefore, we're living in the opposite way than Isaiah prescribed for us to live. I call this concept the scarecrow concept. The reason for that, I want you to turn with me really quickly to Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. It'll probably be on the screens. You don't have to turn there. But Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. I I had this thought. When when one of our, our kids was just a little child, he was scared of scarecrows. So I saw this picture or had this concept this week of of a picture of a scarecrow. I want to show it to you if you have it upstairs. If you do, there we go. Okay. This is such an oxymoron. Go, Go to the next picture if you would. Okay. The scarecrow is there to keep the birds away. Okay. But, but think about this. What is the weapon of the scarecrow? Can the scarecrow harm the birds? No. His weapon is fear. Now, why does the farmer plant the scarecrow? He plants the scarecrow to keep the birds out of his best crop. He plants the scarecrow there to keep the birds from devouring what is his best his very best produce. He keeps the scarecrow there to keep the birds out. In other words, it becomes an advertisement for the best thing that the farmer has to offer. Now let me show you something. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. I I want you to see this. Verse 5, it says, Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot even walk. Do not fear them. In other words, what he is telling us is that when the enemy begins to attack your thoughts and your minds, what he is doing is actually telling you that the best thing that God has to offer is still to come. Mm, Hold on a second. So when he begins to erect the scarecrow in your life, what he is actually doing is advertising that the best thing that God has to offer is just in the field that you are entering into right now. Look at verse 6. I want you to see this. Verse 6 says, They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. Verse 6 says, No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. So when the enemy begins to erect a scarecrow in your life to keep you out of the advertised goodness of God's will, understand that something good is about to happen and that's why the enemy is attacking your thoughts and your mind. Okay, so so are you ready for thought number one? Because this is good. You ready? Thought number one is this. You can allow fear to keep you from your future. Or you can use it to show you what your future is. Matthew chapter 25 is our narrative today. Here is Jesus again. He's preaching in parables, which he had a tendency to do. There are a couple of verses in this passage of Scripture that we are going to pay close attention to because they're extremely relevant to the concept that we are now in. But I do want to read this entire passage so that you get a glimpse of the story. I'm just going to read straight through it, so hang here with me, and then I'll come back, and we're going to focus on two verses. Verse 14 says this. Are you there? Say amen. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to to them. No one 
Or to one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five and he said, Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See how I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things and I will now put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22, it says, the man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Verse 24, then the man who had received the one talent came, said, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is. This is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received back with interest. Verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents for everyone who has who has will be given more and he will have an abundance and whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth oh wow go back to verse 24 verse 24 though is where the plot really begins to twist because in verse 24 there is this dynamic there is this vacuum of fear that is beginning to take precedence in this man's life and because the vacuum of fear is there he begins to respond in a fearful way verse 24 says this it says again it says then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said master i knew that you're a hard man now just pause right there you're a hard man he's beginning to make excuses about his inactivity he's beginning to make excuses because he did not do anything with the gold that the master had given to him. He, he's probably even heard that the other dudes have produced something incredible, that they've done something, they've invested, they've sown, and now they're reaping, but yet he has done nothing. And then he goes on to say, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not even scattered seed. What he's doing at this moment is he is pointing out the omnipotence of the master. And if you haven't gathered it by now, the master here is God. And what we see, and let me just kind of take some liberty with this passage for a moment, is in verse 25, you're going to see that this man was absolutely operating by fear rather than faith. His thoughts were thoughts that would cause him not to receive everything that God really wanted him to have. Fear, his perception of who God was was he said i knew you to be a hard man i knew that you gathered seed where you didn't even scatter seed and why would i even invest it anyway because i really 
didn't have too much to invest, not like what the other people had. And I don't know that I was really even worthy anyway because I've made so many mistakes in, in my life. He began to have these thoughts, and I'm taking liberty, but I want you to understand where I'm going with this. Sometimes we have the same thoughts. God can't use me. I've made too many mistakes and I don't have as much as they have so I don't even know why it would be important for me to even give this little bit of something because this little bit of something really won't make a difference anyway so why don't I just hide it? And then some of us, we have this thought. I can't, I I talk to people all of the time who say, you know, I just have this thought that God is this judge. When the moment we do something wrong, he wants to pounce on us. You did something wrong. Therefore, we have this perception of God that we're so afraid of because we're unworthy. And when you have this perception of God, and let me just be honest with you, each and every person in here, you have a perception of God. And the God that you serve is based upon your perception. And so, you think that God is this judgmental God, then you begin to live and make statements that are condemning and thoughts that are fearful why would he have five talents and i only have one i obviously am not as good as he is or i would have had more to give and it really doesn't matter anyway because i i can't do much because my past is so mixed up and messed up and I, i'm scared of everything that's around me i know that i should go and tell my neighbor about jesus christ but i have so much fear the scarecrow is erected in your life. Let me tell you something. Every gift that you have, every good thing that you have was given to you by a God who loves you and he wants you to be faithful with it. Mm. Verse 25, let me show you something. In verse 25 it says this. He said, again, or no, so I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. This reminds me I was afraid, so I went out and I hid. It reminds me of Adam and Eve. I, I, you know, I sinned, and because I sinned, now I changed my perspective as to who you are. The scarecrow was erected in the Garden of Eden, and so Adam and Eve said, we'll hide, maybe God won't notice us. So he said, I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is. It, 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 see, here it is. He says, I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid, what, what does it say? Your gold. He knew that it was not his. He knew that it was the master's. He, he knew that. But yet he thought it's too risky to, to do anything with it. I, I, I better just plant it in the ground because I may lose control of it. And I don't want to lose control of it. And, and because if I lose control of it, then I'm really going to have some problems. And so he was so driven by fear that one theologian said this. One theologian said that he allowed his fear of his lack of faith to keep him from receiving more. In other words, he knew he had a lack of faith and he had a fear of his lack of faith and therefore he did not receive everything that God had for him. Whoa. And then I think about us. We have the scarecrow in our lives. We've got unforgiveness, the scarecrow of unforgiveness. We want to forgive, but but if I forgive them, they, they may not really accept my forgiveness or they may accept it but 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 then you know what they they may hurt me again and i don't know if i want to be hurt again it's the scarecrow 
fear. I, I, I want to be able to give this tithe, but, but if I give this tithe, what, what if I, I need it? I, it's the scarecrow of, of, of fear. I, I want to see my neighbor saved, but, but I don't have the courage to go and tell my neighbor. I want to see the person that I work with saved, but I don't have the courage to go and tell them uh, about Jesus. I, I, I really would like to help them. I know they're in need, but if I help them, they may take advantage of my generosity. And, and so it's the scarecrow of fear has been erected in your life and it's keeping you out of the blessings on the other side, the field that God has planted and is ready to harvest and you cannot make it into it because you allow the scarecrow who cannot harm you to keep you out. Holy moly, that's good. Let me go a little further. Let me just take some liberty here because I don't want to focus upon the talent. I want to focus upon the word. Because in verse 14 of chapter 25, you look at it, it says the master entrusted them with the talents. The word entrusted means that he actually gave them some descriptives. He actually gave them some directions. I am giving this to you and I want you to use it to bring me glory. I want you to use it to grow the kingdom, so to speak. I want you to use it for that. So the most important thing was the word, not the talent. The most important thing then becomes obedience. I want you to use this. But, but understand how the enemy works. Once you receive a word, the enemy will come in and try to cast doubt over that word so that you will begin to question the promises and the commands of God. Therefore, you'll live not faithfully but fearfully. Can I show you something really quick? Can I? Just making sure you're with me. I hope you're hungry for God's word this morning. Is this okay? Are we, are we all right? Mark chapter 4. I added this this morning, so give, give them some time to catch up. Mark chapter 4, verses 13 through 20. Mark chapter 4, verses 13 through 20. Um, there, there you go. It says this. It says, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Grab this, this is so good. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away. The word that was sown in them, not the talent, but the word. Okay. Others like seed sown on rocky places. Hear the word and once they receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, hear the word, they hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, they accept it and produce a crop 30, 60, and 100 times what what's sown you see what he's saying is is that the enemy will come in just as soon as you receive the word and he's going to try to choke out the word he's going to try to take the word suppress the word hide the word disguise the word he's going to erect the scarecrow in your life trying to keep you out of the advertised goodness of god's will okay now let me show you something the same chapter go to chapter four of mark we referenced this passage earlier in this series but i want you to see this Chapter 4 of Mark, uh, verse 35 and following. It says, that day when evening came. It's that day. It's the same day he's just preached this message to them. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, he took 
They took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the winds broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped and Jesus was in the stern and he was sleeping on a cushion and then the disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we even drown? And so he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and quiet, be still. When the wind died down, it was completely calm. Then the next verse says, he said this to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Go hold, grab this. Why are you so afraid? What he's saying is, I just got through teaching you how the enemy works when I sow the seed into your life. I give to you the word. He's going to come and he's going to put a question mark over the, the promises and the commands of God's word in hopes that you will begin to doubt it. Therefore, you will begin to live fearfully rather than faithfully. Mm says you gave in to the windshield of life you began to look at the wind and the waves and because you began to look at the wind and the waves you could not make it to, to the field where I wanted you, you, you to go now, now, now grab this you need to understand something the enemy will always erect scarecrows in your life to keep you out of the goodness or the advertised goodness of God's will The scarecrow will always, or the enemy will always erect scarecrows in your life to keep you out of the advertised goodness of God's will. I don't think you're getting this. So let me say it in another way because I I want this to really hit home. Do not let go of what you heard, no matter what the enemy has created for you to see. So the man with the talent had let go of what he heard, and now he's holding, holding on to it. He's operating with fear. But, but the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing is by the word of, of God. Most people think that the opposite of, of faith is doubt, but that's not true. The opposite of faith is sight. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. That's what God's word says. But here's this dude. He was operating by his sight. If I hold on to this this gold coin, I can see it. I can touch it. I can feel it. I'll have more security. It will be less risky. I I, I can hide it in the ground and every now and then go dig it up and make sure that I have it. And and then if God wants it back, then I can give it back to him because I, 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 I hid it from everything else. You see, he was operating with fear. He thought he was doing the right thing, but it was contradictory to what the master had asked him to do. Can I tell you something? The enemy will place things around you, fearful things around you, in order to attack the word that's in you. But the word that's in you is always greater than what's around you. That's why Isaiah says that fear not. That's why Isaiah says that God will uphold you with his righteous right hand. That's why the word of the Lord says that his peace will surpass all understanding, that the Lord is near, that his perfect love shuts out all fear. So let it be. Let those things go so that you can grab hold of what God 
God has for you so that you can go to where He's created you to go and understand, may it be unto me that I will not hide from the scarecrow. I will not hide from the scarecrow. I will not hide from the scarecrow because He cannot harm me. He cannot harm me, nor can He help me. Why? Because God is my deliverer. Don't hide from the scarecrow. Don't hide from the scarecrow. Don't hide from the scarecrow. I'm going to give you something free, and I've got you got some time up. Finally, you got me some time up. Okay, so I know how much time I've got. I'm going to take two minutes of that time to give you something free, but it's 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 worth some money. Trust me. This is a side note. Most people think that the opposite of success is failure. Not so. Not according to this passage anyway. The opposite of success is unfaithfulness. I have to wonder how many people in this building today are, are hoping for the blessings that God gave to the other two dudes. God, he blessed them. God really blessed the guy with five talents. He blessed the dude with two talents. And, and, but yet we're sitting on the word. I have to wonder how many of us are expecting that type of blessing while hiding the seed. And maybe you're saying, well, God understands that I have fear. I have fear to change. I have fear to tell my neighbor about Christ. God understands that I have fear. God understands that he he loves me. You're right. God does understand that. He understands that you're driven by fear more than you are faith. Let me just get all up in your business for a moment. What if we change the object and we're not talking about a talent, but rather we're talking about something else that God entrusted you with? Maybe it's being a father. Maybe it's being a mother. Maybe it's being an employee. Maybe it's being a school teacher. Maybe it's being a soldier. Maybe it's being a business owner. Maybe it's being a student. God wants you to be faithful with what he entrusted you with. Amen? Okay, let me, let me switch gears here because I want to end this differently than we have the last few weeks because I want to give you three practical things that you need to remember in order to overcome fear in your life. Three practical things. Here's the first. You need to remember that God is holy and God is good. No matter what you're going through, God is holy and God is good. The word holy is the only word in Scripture that is referenced three consecutive times when it comes to God. It says that the Lord is holy, holy, holy. It doesn't say grace, 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 love, love, love. He is those things. But it says he's holy, holy, holy. Why? Because he's set apart. He's perfect. He's without sin. But the Bible also says in Psalms chapter 136 verse 1, it says that give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Here's my point. When you place yourself as the object of your worship, fear will become prevalent in your life. Let me give some definition to that. When you place yourself as the object of your worship, fear will become prevalent in your life. When I was preparing this message, I looked back over my life, just kind of thinking about the times that I doubted God's holiness and God's goodness. And I came to the conclusion that the times that I doubted his holiness and his goodness were times that he did not answer my prayer in the way that I thought he should answer my prayers. I've shared with you before, my mother, 
has Parkinson's and I've prayed God heal her I don't understand why he won't heal her she's a saint of a woman so godly God why won't you heal her I don't understand God I expect you to and I've been discouraged and I've even questioned the goodness of God I've questioned the holiness of God over that situation and I'm thinking God why but 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 I've come to the conclusion that you know what it really doesn't matter what the circumstances are in my life it does not alter who God is he is holy and he is good Just because he's not answering my prayers the way I think he should answer my prayers, it does not change the fact of who he is. You see, anybody could proclaim that God is good when times are good, but what are you saying about God when times are not so good? Let me say this to you. Your anxieties will disappear in the cloud of God's goodness when you focus upon his holiness and his goodness. Here's the second thing that I want you to remember, and it's somewhat an oxymoron. It's remember to forget. In verses 24 and 25 of this text, Matthew, you see, and I'm reading into the story, but, but we have this thought when we read this, that, that quite possibly that he, the servant, is operating in the now based upon what's happened in the past. In other words, he's making decisions now based upon his failures maybe in the past, and some of us do the same thing. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says to forget those things so that God can do a new thing. In fact, Paul even writes in Philippians chapter 3 that I forget what is behind me so that I can strain towards what is ahead. Can I take you to another place really quick? Second Peter chapter 5. I added this this morning. Second Peter chapter 5 verses... Uh, no, Second Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 15. Yeah, you got it. All right. Here's what it says. Let me read it, and then I'm going to show you one verse. It says, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority, bold and arrogant. They are not afraid to heap abuse. Is that the NIV? Let me read it in the NIV because it uses a word that I want you to hear. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says this. It says, therefore, and I have the older version of the NIV. So, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them. They are firmly established in the truth. You, you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put aside as the Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. But look back at verse 10. Verse 10 says, for if you do these things, you will never fall. Now, now here's Peter writing this. How could Peter who failed miserably, write about not failing. Can I tell you how? Because he has allowed the Holy Spirit to displace his failures with what God has done for him. He's no longer remembering the fear that paralyzed him, but now he's remembering what God has done for him. I'm not at all standing up here saying that there will be this spirit-led forgetfulness in your 
consciousness about your past. What I am saying is that the Spirit of the Lord will enable you to overcome those things so that you are not controlled by those things. So when you focus upon His faithfulness, God will give you some forgetfulness. Are, are you with me? What Peter is saying is that when you go through those trials, understand that if you focus upon the faithfulness of God, if Christ is in the middle of it, Christ will always prevail. Here's the third thing, and I'm moving along quickly. The third is this. Remember his promises. When I think about this dude, the servant, this thought came to me. The thing that caused him fear was the very thing that God asked him to do. There's no wonder why Paul says, be anxious in no thing. Do not be anxious in anything. There's no wonder why he tells us that. So I began to think about this dude being anxious about what God has called him to do. And I realized, hold on a second, I have some similarities. The stress in my life, most of the stress that's in my life, is because of the very thing that God has called me to do. In fact, let me be specific with you. I, I take the majority of Thursday and Friday to work on my message Thursday and Friday Kim will tell you this when she's living with me on Thursday and Friday it's tough on Thursday and Friday because the enemy has erected the scarecrow and I'll work all day diligently on Thursday but I'll close out the end of the day after 14 hours plus sometimes working on a sermon and I'll have a blank computer screen and a bunch of notes that have been balled up and thrown in the trash can and my notebook will be empty of thoughts. And I'll go home and complain and gripe. And I'll tell her the next morning, I don't, I mean, God knows I only have so much time. I don't understand this. And the fear will begin to overwhelm me because I'm thinking Sundays are coming, Sundays are coming, Sundays are coming. And I have this blank computer screen. But then I've come to the realization that, you know what that is? All that is, is the blank computer screen. It's the scarecrow that the enemy has erected in my life because he is advertising for me that God is about to do something good. You're not getting this. You're still not getting this. The blank computer screen in my life is the enemy making me aware that God is going to use me to, to, to do something in your life. You see, it's the enemy trying to keep me out of what God has for me so that he can keep you out of what God has for you. But I will not hide from the scarecrow and rather I'm going to push through because I know that now the enemy is identifying for me that there is this field of blessing that God wants me to walk into. And if I walk into it, maybe somebody will be saved. Maybe somebody's marriage will be healed. Maybe someone's finances will be restored. So I push on. I will not hide from the scarecrow. Everybody stand up. I want you to, we're going to end this way. Grab this. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. I added this this morning. I'm sorry I added so much but, but, but I hear God in this. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Joshua is about to take the people into the promised land. But remember 40 some years before the, the, the promise, the, the, the spies went into the promised land and they were scared to death. And now they're having to go back. So God gathers Joshua up for this final thrust, this pep talk, this, okay, here, you can do this. And, and look what he says to him in verse 9, Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. 
he says this. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you you go. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. How, How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you do that? When the scarecrow is staring you in the face, how do you do that? Let me tell you how you, how you do it. Back up one verse. One verse. Verse 8 says, Keep this book of the laws always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. The promise of remember his promises. Not weekly, not on Sundays at church, but remember his promises both day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you will be prosperous. Oh, hold on a second. Go back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. What is he saying? He's saying that you must think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why? Because in verse 9, you receive the promise that the Lord is with you you he is with you he is for you his righteous right hand will sustain you he will deliver you he will lift you up his peace that surpasses all understanding is yours do you see what i'm saying today church the promise of god fueled jacob to march the promise of god fueled gideon to fight the promise of god fueled david to swing the sling the promise of of god fueled moses to rescue the people the promise of God fueled Paul to preach the promise of God will fuel you to walk into the advertised blessings that God has for your life come on somebody and give him praise in this place